Welcome to The Bottom of the Glass, a podcast about the art of traditional rudimental drumming and music of all origins. The Bottom of the Glass is hosted by Dave Loyal, Brendan Mason, and me, Brian Watkinson. We'll dig deep into the theories, the ideas, and the history of rudimental drumming, fifing, and world music through the words and experiences of those who are making music history today. We've wanted to talk to today's guest for a long time. Andrea Wirth has been and is huge in the orchestral and fife and drum community and has been for years. And she has successfully transferred her skills in the orchestral world to the parade ground. She started playing the piano at nine and she added percussion at the age of 10 when she lived in Michigan. At 17, she joined a fife and drum corps in Midland, Michigan. Now she jumped into our hobby with both feet then earned her degree in percussion performance at the University of Michigan under the tutelage of great professors and percussionists like Alan Abel and Julie Spencer. Drea has been with the Middlesex County Volunteer Fife and Drum Corps for 30 years and has performed all over the globe in her capacity as drum sergeant of MCV and her numerous collaborations with organizations like the Portland, Maine Symphony Orchestra, the Eastern Connecticut Symphony Orchestra, and as a guest of the Deja Vu clique during Fastnacht in Basel, Switzerland. We are really honored to have Andrea Wirth with us today. Drea, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Brian. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad you want to talk to me. Well, we're glad you wanted to talk to us. So (laughs) that that works out great. Great to see you, Drea. So this pandemic has been one of the weirdest times in our, our lifetimes, really. Um, how have you been coping with the changes and, and with everything going on? Oh, my. Well, um, uh, we've, like, with MCV that I'm still playing with, uh, we've still been rehearsing on Zoom. And uh, we've done um, so a bunch of videos that we were able to still give us some goals to work towards and uh, keep our performance sharp. It's been a little weird, of course, if, if anybody is you know, familiar with um, rehearsing on Zoom that you really can only hear one lead player. So it makes ensemble playing very difficult. It, it sucks big time, yeah, right, let's, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, and so you have to really police yourself and some people are better doing that than others. Um, but it, it's a chance to really listen to your own playing um, and really focus in on what you're doing. So if if you're able to, if one is if one is able to really pay attention uh, to what you can improve in your own playing, it's really a nice benefit that way. And um, and then you can play with people from all time zones, you know, and um, that's really been fabulous. There are some groups that I've been teaching that we. Um, in, when I was in person, that we had to stop. So I'm definitely um, missing some folks. Um, so I hope we'll be getting back together soon in person. Sure. All right. So Drea, what, what's the plan then for that? I, I heard rumors that MCV might not be coming to Deep River this year. I think they're going to take the year off and, and try to push it off to Sudbury. So, you know, what's that going to be like when, when you guys are going to start to get back to playing in person as a full group? And, and you know, what is that going to be like for you guys? Oh, sure. Well, actually, we've already started. Uh, so we're playing in person outside. Um, and, uh, boy, that's so nice. There are definitely like harmony parts in the fifers that I've never heard before. Like, Oh, that's what that is. You know? So uh, <laughs> that's yeah. been great. Um, and, uh, the weather's been great. So we've been outside and just loving it, loving it. 
Um, so yeah, so we're gearing up right now for the 4th of July in Boston, which is um, a big deal for us. So we've definitely got uh, two full days of playing downtown in uh, what we call roves, just little small performances, like 15 minutes each. So it's like a 15 minute or 20 minute on, and then we walk to another location around town and play another 15 minutes. And so with, there's like, I think it's like a six hour uh, schedule each day. So um, now is that, is that fun or more exhausting? I love it. I yeah. think it's great. Fun. I think cause, cause then by the end of those two days, you are bulletproof. Like it's just the right. greatest rehearsal ever. And you get to see, you know, the looks on everyone's faces because you're not like marching by them in a parade and you get to like really connect with um, your audience. And uh, you know, they're so excited to see like the tri-corner hat and the big formal uniform that we have in Boston. And so we just, that's such an iconic view. Right. So There's no better place than Boston for 4th of July. So I, I think that's a pretty incredible experience. I've always uh, been jealous of you guys doing that. I thought that was a pretty unique yeah. experience. We're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the, the reason for MCV passing on Deep River? Was it scheduling? Was it an early decision before COVID kind of made some changes or? Uh, I think the latter that, um, I mean, I must yeah. I wasn't in on all of the conversations, but I think we had enough people who were just a little concerned about the, you know, about the virus and where we were going to camp and, and, uh, I think people were just feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're going to miss us too, because I'm, I'm certainly going to miss seeing you guys. Well, certainly, certainly so, you know, I'm on, I'm on the uh, deep river muster planning committee and that's not, that's not an unusual um, emotion that we're getting from a lot of cores, you know, particularly when we were looking at so many changes happening so quickly when you looked at March and April and then May and then June. And yeah, you know, and, and I think a lot of cores are kind of taking that direction like, okay, well, you know, things are happening quickly and not happening quickly. And so we're just going to kind of ride this one out and then wait for the next one or wait for Westbrook or wait for whatever, and then kind of get it going. So that makes that makes perfect sense. So, um, but l let me get back to, you know, your early days of, of getting into, into music. So you started playing piano at the age of nine and then for whatever reason you decided to switch to drum. So well, I, added, I added drum. I did, I did drop piano. But, uh, so you still play piano. Well, yep. not well, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you see, so, but, so what was it about drum that, you know, kind of drew you in and made you say, uh, wow, you know, I want to play this? Yeah, well, let's, I would actually go way back to when I was a baby, if all, if you look at everything, that uh, my mother always tells the story that I was a very colicky baby, and I think all you guys have young children. And uh, the only way she could stop me from crying is she, she would hold me and she would just like thump me. To, and, and I would be like, oh, that feels good and like and stop crying. And so I think that just got into my bones. And when um, I was growing up in elementary school, we were just down the street from the high school and I could always hear the high school marching band rehearsing outside. And um, every year at their homecoming parade, which is like the tiniest little parade, but they would happen to march right by the elementary school. 
And every year we got to get out of class and we would go sit on the curb and the, the high school marching band would go by and I would hear the bass drum. And that bass drum did the same thing to me because you feel it, you know? And I was like, wow, that is the coolest thing. I want to be a bass drummer. <laughs> I want to do that to people, you know? It's like, that feels so comfortable. So mm. I, think I, I grew, grew up actually thinking I was going to be a bass drummer. Um, but when I wanted to pick a, an instrument for school band, I was like, percussion, please. And uh, that's, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So, Jay, in your trajectory, it seems that you started playing in a fife and drum corps around age 16 or so in yeah, Michigan. That's right. 
So what was your experience growing up playing fife and drum in the Midwest? We just had Mark Loxton on recently, and, and, and most of us here come from the East Coast. Uh, Brian is from Connecticut. I'm from Connecticut. Dave is from Pennsylvania, notoriously. <laughs> so, yeah, you're welcome. So, you know, I, I just I, – I, we always hear about the Midwest, and, and it seems to be doing pretty well over there. It's not a, a, a traditional place with fife and drum, um, you know, kind of butted from. You know, obviously, the, the East Coast is is really the hotbed of that. What was it like growing up in the Midwest and that fife and drum scene? Tell us about your experience. Yeah, I think it was actually, like you said, it's, it was very um, uh, vibrant. And Mark Lawson was definitely um, a key figure for many, many of those um Fife and drum course. I think we had six fife and drum course uh, in Michigan when I was active out there, which is was about the same as Massachusetts, I think, at the time. So, you know, that was uh, a pretty uh, great influence that he's had. So I started um, in the Tibawasi Valley Fife and Drum Corps. I was a charter member. They called me up because they knew I already played in school band, and they were like, um, "We're we got some money to start a youth fife and drum corps. Would you like to?" Play. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, yes, please. You know, I, I always wanted to play a rope drum and I never knew, you know, how to get involved. And so like, like literally, you know, dropped in my lap. Somebody called me up. So I, but we didn't have an instructor very much. So I, I did a lot of uh, trying to struggle uh, on my own, trying to figure this stuff out. And we, we attended a lot of different events to try to learn. And we watched a lot of the, Plymouth Fife and Drum Corps and the first Michigan Fife and Drums um, and Great Lakes Fife and Drums. And there was, um, Mark Lawson had that great muster in um, Dearborn, Michigan. And um, that's when some of the big East Coast folks came out and I was like, wow, this is a whole new world. Um, so it, I, th- there was, uh, I'm trying to think of like a general difference in description, but I'm sure Mark Lawson has talked about it more than me. But um, yeah, we don't. We didn't have a competition scene, so it was purely for fun and maybe a bit more on the historical accuracy bent than just a pure modern folk music, which it is as well. Right, right. So now that drum corps, uh, what are the Titabawasi Valley? Fight, are they still around? They are. Yeah. Are they really? Well, we were talking about this in uh, our prep meeting. Brian was having a really hard time saying that. so <laughs> It was difficult. <laughs> you know, you, you can't screw that one up or you'll get in real trouble. I know. Not to be too flattering, but uh, you have a beautiful and expressive style of playing. I always love finding you out in a jam session to, to try to stand next to you um, to try to play. Um, does that come from your orchestral background or did you have an instructor that kind of brought that that kind of expressive playing out of you? Oh yeah, I think um, oddly enough, I think uh, my timpani experience has really helped uh, inform my snare drum playing and the whole idea of, of lifting and using your arms um, and that all comes from Salvatore Rabio, um, my wonderful, wonderful timpani professor at University of Michigan, um, who uh, sadly just passed away not too long ago, um, lived out in Cape Cod in Massachusetts here too. Um, but yeah, I think um, the whole idea of like an equal and opposite motion that, you know, when one hand goes down, the other hand has to come up and, and that sort of flow in your roles, um, you know, even though timpani 
um, it, it, those are usually just the, the single the single taps rather than rolling. But uh, but yeah, definitely, I feel like that has definitely informed my style on snare drum. That makes uh, a lot of sense to me. Uh, Ken, Kenny Wolin actually comes comes by the shop about once a week. Oh yeah, uh, he uh, has talked many times about going to school with you about, <laughs> about drum with you in the past. You know, he's he's always talking about you. So, oh my uh, uh, I that that was at University of Michigan. That's right. Yep. Yep. That's right. Very cool. So now you've been a member of MCV for thirty years. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 I think it is. That's, that's a while. That's a few years. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what brought you to that was, did your orchestral career kind of bring you to that? Or were you drawn to New England fife and drum? What, what kind of made you end up in MCV? Oh, sure. Um, when I first saw MCV, it was like love at first sight. Honestly, I saw them at that, um, that Colonial Muster in uh, Dearborn, or sorry, in, De- in Dearborn, Michigan, in Greenfield, yep. and uh, they were playing in you know in the heat of the summer and under a big shade tree, and they were confident and but casual, and they just put out a great sound. And I looked at those drummers, I was like, that was, I want to play with this group. They, they play interesting music. They play it really well. And uh, I want to go to Boston and go to the, the, the Mecca of Fife and Drum. To me, it was the Mecca, I'm sure. Um, some would argue uh, Connecticut is as well. But, uh, but for me, I was like, I can totally see myself playing in this group. And that was what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, you know, funny because, you know, 30 years ago, they were very different than they are today, you know. Um, but still just as great and you know with that that same you know devotion to excellence that you know that they have today and it's it's really cool and and that's what that's what has made them you know such an iconic core for yeah. so long right well i hope we would all be a little bit different than we were 30 years ago yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah in certain ways for sure <laughs> So, Jay, the MCV being one of the, the great Fife and Drum Corps of, of our time, certainly mine, um, you know, can you tell about the tell us about the family connection that MCV has and, and, and how it goes beyond the Fife and Drum performance? You know, what makes MCV so special in that regard? Um, well, there is definitely uh, a great kinship when you make music together with people and especially for so long. And, and I think the drum line specifically has been really solid for so many years. I've played next to Jim McConiff and um, Michael Godin for like about 30, 29 years now. I think Michael mm. came in just after me. And so the three of us at least being able to play together for so long, I'm like, I think I can read each other's minds when we, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys get that too? Like, like, um, yeah. I yeah. know when the guy next to me is going to make a mistake before he makes it. No, <laughs> we'll all make the same mistake at the same time because we're listening so hard to each other. Yeah, and you're watching too. It's a, it's a really special relationship for sure. Yeah. When you have that drummer that you know, you can just pick up your hands and, and they're going to do the same. Yeah. It doesn't happen often. It's a pretty right. special thing. So, can you talk about the, the broken heart? You know oh, what that yeah. means? Sure. So the broken heart is the symbol of, of our group. And uh, that started um, my, I was married to a Pfeiffer, Stephen Taskovics, and uh, 
when we were first talking about um, uh, making, well, I don't know that we were talking about, we were, he was making, um, sorry, he was making uh, what's called a, Hal, a halberd uh, for the, I can't speak English yet, for the, for the, <laughs> um, the guide on. The mace, yeah. The, 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 it was halberd, the yeah. yeah. And it, so it had a, a knife at the top and it has two hearts on the sides, typically. That's the typical 18th century version of it. And he was in the metal shop one day and he was like, you know, I'm going to make one of these broken and one of these, you know, a regular, a regular heart and a broken heart. And it's like mm. the gang of life. Because I think he had just broken up with a previous girlfriend and, and he was like, oh, like, I love this drum corps so much. And it's about passion and uh, you have to sacrifice some things in your life in order to make it work really well. Um, because you're not getting paid for it and uh, it takes a lot of time and you get to march in the hot sun on, you know, in a big sweaty parade ground. And it's like, why are we doing this? And it's because we love it so much and it's about passion. So it's it's about that broken heart it's 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 not so much that we're sad but it's just like it's about passion that um that we really want to put out a great product that's cool i have not heard it explained quite that way (laughs) (laughs) but i I like that answer a lot more (laughs) i i love that explanation actually that's really cool yeah so so uh drea like We've we've traveled together to, to Sydney, um, Australia, and also Basel, Switzerland um, with MCB. Yes. Um, Brendan was also with us for uh, the, the Sydney trip. Um, can you talk about some of your experiences performing internationally um, and how it's different from you know from place to place? Ooh, um, sure. Let me think about that for a second. Um, yeah, so a lot of the performances that we've done are for the big military tattoo shows. So um, they're, they are um, much more scripted and it's really like a big Broadway show um, put together in three days with, you know, you have timing and you have, you know, the spots you got to stand on and spotlights, like fife and drum and a spotlight, it seems like things never go together, but that's really crazy. Um, and, uh, but there's such a great energy for military music around the world. And whether it be bagpipes or whether it be brass bands, um, fife and drum uh, in uh, the American sense is kind of a uh, unique ensemble for a lot of the world, not in Switzerland. I think they're like, oh yeah, you guys, okay. We, we, we know what that is. You know, they're very familiar with the fife and drum um, scene. So, um, Specifically for the Basel tattoo, it was really great to play in front of um, folks from the from Europe and from Switzerland, particularly because you know that they get you. They're like, "Oh yeah, we know mm. how hard that is, like what you're doing right now." Um, so that was really wonderful, and to have our all of our friends, you know, be in Basel, all the folks that we know through, um, you know, the the old Radabang guys and the ancient the Swiss Mariners and the I'm gonna forget them all, but the Rhine River Rebels and, um, and, and, and the, who am I forgetting? Um, oh, geez. Uh, Gray coats. Yes. Sorry. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, so, so to know that they all know the American style plus their own style. Um, and then just, so there are so many drummers in Switzerland in general that it's just wonderful to play for them. 
So what do you think about the tattoo experience in terms of uh, the relationship between that and the fife and drum tattoo experience? Do you, do you see any similarities and differences? Oh, sure. Um, you, you have to make sure that you make it um, a great experience for yourself because it can be really tedious and a lot like work for a, a major tattoo because it's really, again, like a big Broadway show. But um, you have to maybe take a little extra effort to reach out and, and make friends with the other groups. And some tattoos are a little easier than others with downtime or social opportunities to get to meet players from around the world. But then when you do, it's like, we're all music people. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you may not have a very common language, but you're like, I, I was talking to a Russian guy and he didn't know very much. He goes, but he's like, you, me, music people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's like, right. I, that's all we, he could say, but you know, um, you know, and it's just so easy to share a beer and uh, laugh with people from all over the world. And uh, gosh, people are so talented. Right. And, um, they get to share that, um, you know, um, share that experience with their stage performance. But also we have a lot of backstage performances as well. Yeah. Uh, just for yeah. Cast yeah, bar performances are, are really a place where that where that really comes to life. Yeah. The, uh, the, the entire. Uh, you know, the community of just musicians, you know, some people don't speak um, the same languages and whatnot, but, but we can all play music for each other and we have a great time doing it. Right. 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 Absolutely. And so that's, what's great about the Fife and Drum Musters too, is, is that we've all got our onstage performance, but then the jams and, and to, to make music with, you know, different configurations of people and, and to really get to know, um, you know, what, what people, what people, feel like drumming next to somebody i think i always judge like what what their vibrations are like you know mm, right you know i i, I just I, I i know that i've had the experience of doing the sydney tattoo twice um with two different groups and i know how much work goes into performing and and well just the preparation the months and uh, of leading up and learning the drill and learning all the stuff and then getting over there and, and i i've always been completely amazed with how frequent mcv has been able to do these performances most groups wait you know three four years before they just do a little bit of traveling you guys were doing it at a clip that was just unheard of for a volunteer group so i you know i i don't know how you guys did it <laughs> or still do it it's crazy i think you get hooked into the right uh the tattoo circuit i guess and once there's like oh new blood and and so uh you get invited to one tattoo and they're like oh we want you to come to our tattoo and they're like oh wait come we know these guys need need something fresh and new and, and a fife and drum ensemble in that kind of context is is new so yeah, you have to be able to march and put on a big show and have, you know, a variety of kinds of pieces that you can play. Um, but then, yeah, so uh, I think MCV does that really well. Yeah, and you need stuff. You need equipment. You know, the, the thing that blew me away when I started learning about MCV years ago is that, you know, you've got, you've got good weather drums. You have bad weather drums. You have stuff for every every contingency that you might need and that's really cool you know because most drum corps like you know even you know even in grand republic i mean we talked about you know when when we were going to um a gas bay days last weekend it's like okay we're looking at the weather and it's like 
you know, do I bring a a crappy drum or a a calfskin drum? And and it's it's like a last minute thing. But you guys don't do it like that. I mean, you you guys have it all planned out because you've got you take the trailer and you've got this, this and this, which I think is really cool. And you got a support staff. And, yeah, which is awesome. That's which also is every, cool. everybody's just so jealous. That's what it really comes yeah, down yeah. to. Everyone, yeah. you know, they got you know, Mike, Mike's mom and, and sister coming around with with uh, you know cheese and cracker plates. And, yes, you know, it's all it's just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just on Saturday, I was looking around, you know, at Gatsby Days. I'm like, hey, where where is our core mom with like a bottle of water? We don't have that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it sucks. That's right. Yeah, uh, we were really grateful to have those opportunities and to have those uh, resources. And uh, yeah. we, we earn all that money and, and you know doing gigs and things, and it just you know we invest it right back in the core and yeah, life a little bit easier for yourselves. No, that's yeah, that's the way to do it too. So let me ask you this, you know, because and Brendan was sent, sending around some images today. I mean, your face is plastered all over the place, all over the globe. I mean, you're on, you know, buses and you're on trams oh, and, right. you know, yeah. the side of the um, middle bridge, I think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's crazy. I mean, you're on seats, you know. People are sitting on you, whatever. Yeah. But I, I mean, saw how- somebody spray a mustache on one of them, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't recognize you. <laughs> I think I'm going to put a mustache on myself. <laughs> right, right. So how does that how does that make you feel? Oh, it makes me feel uh, <laughs> silly. It makes me well. I mean, I think I'm just lucky. I just, um, I mean, it could easily have been Jim McConaughey uh, on on those pictures, and he was like. You know, people have taken way too many pictures of me. And he pushed me forward. He said, 
you know, let's, let's take some pictures of you. <laughs> and I think it was a great coup because I think he knew too that, um, you know, as, as director of MCV, like it would be nice to have a female drummer. And mm. especially for the Basel tattoo, um, where Switzerland, um, you know, hasn't had a lot of female drummers has, you know, has, you know, I think women only got the right to vote until was it 1970 or 1971. Um, you know, it's, it's a very patriarchal society and, uh, a little message there to be like, Hey, we can do this too. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'm not too obvious as a female. I think I was always really, really worried about that. Um, I wanted to just be a drummer. I just wanted to be one of the, one of the drummers. I am a drummer, not a girl drummer. Right. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it, I think, um, uh, Eric Juilliard told me that I think there were 2.2 million copies of that image made uh, for the Basel tattoo that year. And it was on the cast t-shirts and it was on like the, the watermark for every page of the program. And it was on like every ticket. And uh, yeah. And they were like, we, we laughed at like the cocktail tables in the VIP rooms had like these little pictures of me that was like, that like stood up on a stick. It was like teriyaki Drea. We called it. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome, and you didn't get one dime from that. Oh man, <laughs> you should have bought. You should have hired an agent. <laughs> uh, but, but it's been sweet. I, uh, uh, you know, people who don't, who people who, who were in the cast and have me in the picture, you know, on the back of their T-shirt, and they're like, "Oh, you, you are the poster girl." So that's <laughs> the poster girl. We know you, you know. So that's been great fun. Or, or the people that don't even that don't even recognize me until I'm like, Oh, that's me. You know, like, and then I'll like just yeah, show right. my face because I have the wig on and the tricorner hat. And they're like, no, it's just really me. And they're like, Oh, it is you. And that's been fun because I think they, they look at it and they assume, Oh yeah. Young military drummer. I'm like, good. That's what you're supposed to see. Right. Right. So Drea, you've been dealing um, with some, some health issues over the last few years. How has the music community and, and the fight and drum community in, in general helped with that fight? Oh my gosh, um, they've been really, really supportive. Um, I have a, a stage four breast cancer, so I've been going through chemo and um, maybe not able to play, uh, you know, or march maybe as well as I might. And my appearance has definitely been changing. Um, but you know, wow, everyone has been so wonderful. And I, you know, I, I really feel like a valued member of the community and everyone has been really helpful about trying to just, we're, we're glad to have you around in whatever capacity you can be there. So that's been wonderfully um, inspiring to me. And I'm very grateful for that. Well, you've, you still look as beautiful as ever. You're still as chipper and happy as ever. So, you know, whatever you're doing, you're doing it right because can't even tell. So, um, you know, you're an inspiration to all of us and, uh, you know, you know, we'll keep thinking of you here, here. Absolutely. So, um, last question here for you, Drea, um, how have you seen the fife and drum change throughout the years and what, where do you see its forward path? Oh dear. Um, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm hitting you with some uh, <laughs> questions here, but let's see what you say, though. Well, I remember coming in watching the Connecticut Yanks and the Connecticut Blues and um, and Dickerson and a lot of those really 
strong competitive fife and drum course that have, have really disappeared. Not, um, not the blues, but, um, but so, yeah, so there was definitely, uh, there's definitely a change from the competition scene that I think used to be much stronger. Um, but I think it's more, I think fife and drum has been more diverse in the last um, 10 years or so. Um, they're, I'm trying to think. Um, there's different musical influences that are coming out on the field. And as the older generation is, you know, getting old and, uh, and the young blood is coming in, um, there's definitely been some new um, energy, some new, um, I'm thinking of the William Diamond Fife Syndromes in Lexington and, and they're doing a lot of com composition and arranging and there's a lot of talented kids there. I think that the junior Fife and Drum camp has been such an amazing, amazing addition to, to our community. And, you know, my hat's off to Cap Cordra and, and all of the great folks, Brendan, you are, and I think all you guys are involved in that. Um, and wow, that's just been um, a great shot of energy into the community and just to help keep um, old favorites, uh, old favorite medleys alive and to let uh, younger people experience those again. And um, man, they just to, to put together a great show in a week, you know, is, is just fabulous. And, and it's great for the kids. And I think it's great for all us old folks to, you know, I know I definitely make a beeline for that rehearsal and performance you know, at the Deep River Tattoo uh, every Friday before the, sh before the, yeah. the you know, I, lo I love that. It's so that's definitely, um, I mean, I hope that continues to. Yeah. To so you uh, think, think that we're in pretty good standing for the semi-quincentennial coming up here in a few years as right. far as the Pipe and Drum Alive. Yeah. That's you good. know, Dave always has to try and find a way to worm in that word that he worked so long to. <laughs> I, I learned to say it, so I, I, I have to yeah, say, say it again. as possible. Say it again. Say it again. I want to hear it again. Semi-quincentennial. <laughs> it's, it's part of his, like, daily affirmations. He wakes up in the morning and he's like, I will be great today, semi-quincentennial. In his defense, he's the only one from the three of us that can say it. <laughs> right. It's true. So, <laughs> that so, is so true. Like, uh, I'm actually pretty proud of Brendan and Brian because all of them have, have uh, said that word correctly in the last, like, two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying. Yeah. We do the daily affirmation, too. Right. So, you know. But it's interesting you say that, you know, and we were talking uh, a little while ago about uh, you know, how the fife and drum language is, uh, you know, goes across all different, you know, uh, cultures and continents and, and, and people and stuff. And, you know, and, and I have, I have talked to friends of mine who are not in fife and drum and I try and explain a jam session where, you know, there might be, you know, 20 or 50 or a hundred people, some of whom I've never met, but we can play the same song and play it uh really damn well together and stuff but what freaks me out is when i see young kids in a jam session toward your point drea a minute ago actually playing a medley that was written 50 years ago or 40 years ago and that's a really special thing yeah. you know that's where you have seen this thing jump 
you know, a couple of generations. Um, and it's uh, it's pretty emotional and yeah. it's and it's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I have one question for you, because I've always I've heard this rumor Uh-oh. and I've always wondered about it because you work at MIT. Yes. And I I heard this stupid thing that people there are so smart and so focused that they walk around like walking into walls and doors because they're thinking on such a higher level. Is that even true? Oh, that's crazy. Okay, good. (laughs) Finally. I want to say there are some of the most beautiful girls I have ever seen who are students at MIT that are not like the classic, you know, nerdy librarian girl, you know, with, you know, no, there's an amazingly normal, well-adjusted students there. Huh. So when we I were smarter, when we were doing the prep for these, this uh, interview and the questions, Brian had asked this and uh, he said, you know, I, I really want to ask this question. And then he was typing all the questions down and he put my name next to it, trying to trick me into doing that. <laughs> and so I was like, no, Brian, you're going to ask a question. He was trying to get out of it just now. Dirty. He's like, no, Brian, you wrote that down. <laughs> ask that dumb question. <laughs> I thought it's not a dumb question. It's, it's a dumb question. No, it's. <laughs> I mean, I've I've heard it several times over the years. So, Ryan, I've seen you at a few different musters. I've seen you walk into walls before and other things. So, <laughs> let's that's be not honest. because I'm smart. No, that's, that's sure. true. <laughs> oh, part of the flame hogs way. Yeah, <laughs> thinking going on at MIT, but uh, yeah, also a lot of good music and uh, a lot of good theater at MIT. You would not think about. Uh, that I think as being something you could major in at MIT, but huh. um, interesting. I know. See, there's there's a lot of great uh, music, and there are you know a lot of the math majors at MIT are also really good musicians. I think math and music really go together. Right. So right. Um, we have a really vibrant, vibrant music uh, scene at MIT, um, and a great job. Really? jazz program. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's right. I know that. I actually knew about the yeah, jazz yeah, program. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, so yeah, I think think at MIT actually I was um, checking around with uh, other colleges uh, in the United States about how much um, humanities they require of their undergraduate program, and I think there's only one. I could only find one other university that requires more humanities um, hmm. or engineering majors, which is it's even more than at Harvard. If you go to wow. MIT, more humanities than Harvard does. And that's the work that you've been doing there, trying to push that? Well, no, I must admit, I didn't uh, create that. But I think I have been trying to get students to see how it's not crazy to double major. It, right. Because there is so much humanities that's required anyway. It's like by the time you take your requirements, you're like two thirds of the way there. So like, like just like a little bit more and you can have a full major in history, right. full major in music, plus your engineering or science degree. So that's been my soapbox. I've been honest, like, hey, you know, if you really love it, you don't have to give it up. You can be. Well, and it, and it helps boost their programs like, you know, the jazz program and, and other musical and arts programs. I, I think it's a, a great and worthwhile cause. So they're doing a lot of great things over there. So I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of that community. And, the, and it's fun because a lot of the administrators are also musicians. So Wow. See, we learned a lot from that. So that wasn't a dumb question after all. <laughs> 
No, you saved my ass. You definitely saved my ass on that one. She's just really good. Yeah, at, at interviews. <laughs> well, Drea, this has been awesome. This has been a really, uh, really great time, and and uh, I love you, and I'm really glad to talk to you. Thanks, my pleasure. Thank you, Drea. Thank you very much. We'll see you in a few weeks at Deep River. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Great to see you. Recording in progress. Recording in progress. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a really good interview, I thought, with uh, Andrea Worth. It's always exciting to talk to Drea because, uh, like, like we always play together at jam sessions and you know we, we play together with mcv and and in all kinds of different places um so it's really cool to, to hear some more like history because that's something that doesn't really come up in uh, normal conversation yeah and, you know i just i love the way she plays too i mean she's just such a beautiful expressive musical player and we talked about that in the interview a little bit i wish we talked about it more um, but it's just incredible to hear, you know, some of the stuff uh, connecting her orchestral playing to the her rope tension drum playing and and so forth. So, yeah. oh, beautiful. You know, the other thing that you know, because I have not uh, spent a lot of time talking to her, I don't know her all that well. Um, but she is really funny. Yeah. She is yeah. a really cool person. I really yeah. enjoyed that about her. You know, I mean, her sense of humor is really good. She's uh, very articulate and she can move from topic to topic and uh and she was just fun to talk to yeah absolutely it was really cool to have her on and and i really meant it obviously we talk about uh you know her dealing with with um you know, cancer um a little bit towards the end of the interview but just the way that she's held herself and 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 just been chipper every single time that i see her it's just uh it's very inspiring yeah absolutely so how's everybody feeling i know dave we barely got you on here you're you're up to the gun on a couple of things going on in the shop right now yeah doing some uh some some drums i have to get finished um tonight with the initial finish to be able to get to the artist tomorrow um but yeah so i'm definitely up to the gun but it's here at uh it's seven o'clock now so uh a couple more hours in the shop i'm also fighting off a, a cold but, I can hear that. I can hear that in your voice a little bit. You you sound a little sniffly. Yeah, yeah. So, but well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you you uh, hung in there. It's not good to have just two thirds of bottom of the glass because it would just be called of the glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, the bottom? you're the bottom. <laughs> yeah, you're the bottom. <laughs> I'm the of the. It rides the glass. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I was thinking about the idea of the show, that's a you know that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, bottom I'm, of the glass. <laughs> I'm glad we established our roles in this. You know, yeah. that makes me feel better. <laughs> Dave is always the bottom in this scenario. <laughs> well, you're the Benny. You are the yeah. Benny of this conversation. <laughs> the Benny of the Jets. Yeah. Oh, I think we just found out what the song is that we're going to have at the end of this episode. <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> I think we did. If we keep our, our listenership to just, you know, what are we at, like 32 people? <laughs> we're, we're, we're never going to have to worry about having any legal problems for that. Yeah, yeah. Elton John will not be suing us yeah. for 
Well, the uh, song that, that Brendan and I were singing to each other this morning with uh, my daughter <laughs> was uh, Run, Run, Rudolph. Yeah. <laughs> run, that was run, terrible, Rudolph. too. It's way too far behind. Yeah. I might have turned her off from it completely. Yeah. He didn't know the words. I did not know the words at all. I was just like, Run, Run, Rudolph. How the hell did that tune come up? What was um, the occasion for that? It's actually been been a thing since Christmas. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the tune, Brian, but it's a Christmas <laughs> tune. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's, that's my point. So, like <laughs> this morning before Brendan called me, we listened to like four different versions. She has very specific versions that she wants to listen to. Like, oh, that's what is the, the Mitch Miller, which she calls the, the big voice Rudolph, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and the Lives Rudolph, which is just regular Rudolph. And then, um, run, but you posted the beef stroganoff. What'd you say? The uh, the big voice. Oh, big voice. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm sorry. Beef stroganoff, Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> Stick around.
If you've liked this podcast and would like to support the Bottom of the Glass, go to patreon.com backslash bottom of the glass podcast to donate or click on the Patreon link on our Facebook and Instagram pages. And thank you. Program produced by Michael Blancaflor. Edited by Brendan Mason. Hosted by Brendan Mason, Dave Loyal, and Brian Watkins. Podcast music was created by Michael Blancaflor. Logo was done by Andrew Ruddle.